0: THE LEGACY CHAPTER 7 QUIET IN THE DARKNESS Even with burning lamps lining all the walls and the paths clear and well marked, it took Drizzt and Regis the better part of three hours to cross the miles of the great Mithril Hall complex to the new tunnel areas. They passed through the wondrous tiered Undercity, with its many levels of dwarven dwellings that resembled gigantic steps on two sides of the huge cavern. The dwellings overlooked a central work area on the cavern floor that bustled with the activities of the industrious race. This was the hub of the entire complex. Here, the majority of Brunner's people lived and worked. Great furnaces roared all day, every day. Dwarven hammers rang out in a continual song, and though the mines had been open for only a couple of months, thousands of finished products... Everything from finely crafted weapons to beautiful goblets already filled many push-carts, which waited along the walls for the onset of the trading season. Drizzt and Regis entered from the eastern end on the top tier, crossed the cavern along a high bridge, and weaved down the many stairways to exit the city's lowest level, heading west into Mithril Hall's deepest mines. Low burning lamps lined the walls, though these were fewer now and farther between and every now and then the companions came to a dwarven work crew, bleeding precious silvery mithril from the tunnel wall. Then they came to the outer tunnels, where there were no lamps and no dwarves. Drizzt pulled off his pack, thinking to light a torch, but noticed the halfling's eyes glowing with the telltale red of infravision. I do prefer the light of a torch, Regis commented when the drow started to replace the pack without striking a light. We should save them, Drizzt answered. We do not know how long we will have to remain in the new areas. Regis shrugged. Dries took amusement in the fact that the halfling was already holding his small but undeniably effective mace, though they hadn't yet passed beyond the secured regions of the complex. They took a short break, then started on again, putting another two or three miles behind them. Predictably, Regis soon began to complain about his sore feet and quieted only when they heard the sounds of dwarven chatter somewhere up ahead. A few twists and turns in the tunnel took them to a narrow stair that emptied into a final guardroom of this section. Four dwarves were in there, playing bones, grumbling with every throw, and paying little attention to the great iron-barred stone door that sealed off the new areas. "'Well met,' Drizd said, interrupting the game. "'We got some kin down there,' a stocky, brown-bearded dwarf replied as soon as he noticed Drizzt. "'King Bruner sending yourselves to find him?' "'Lucky us,' remarked Regis. Driz nodded. "'We are to remind the missing dwarves that the Mithra will be gotten in proper time,' he said, trying to keep this encounter lighthearted, wanting to not alarm the dwarven guards by telling them that he believed there might be trouble in the new section. Two of the dwarves took up their weapons, while the other two walked over to remove the heavy iron bar that locked the door. "'Well, when you're ready to come back out, tap the door three, then two. The brown-bearded dwarf explained. We're not for opening it unless the signal's right. Three, then two, Drizzt agreed. The bar came off, and the door fell inward with a great sucking sound. Nothing but the blackness of an empty tunnel was apparent beyond it. Easy, my little friend, Drizzt said, seeing the sudden gleam in the halfling's eye. They'd been down here just a couple of ten days before for the goblin fight, but though they had seen that threat eradicated the hushed tunnel seemed no less imposing. "'Hurry up!' the brown-bearded dwarf said to them, obviously not happy with keeping the door open. Drizzt lighted a torch and led the way into the gloom, Regis close on his heels. The dwarves shut the door immediately when the companions were clear, and Drizzt and Regis heard the clanging of the iron bar being set back in place. Drizzt handed Regis the torch and drew out his scimitars, twinkle glowing a soft blue we should get done as quickly as we can, the drow reasoned. Bring in Gwenhiver and let the cat lead us. Regis set down his maze and torch and fumbled around to find the onyx figurine. He placed it on the ground before him and took up his other items, then looked to Drizzt, who had moved a few steps farther down the tunnel. You may call the panther, Drizzt said, somewhat surprised, when he looked back to see the halfling waiting for him. A curious sight given Regis's close relationship with the great cat. Gwenhyver was a magical entity, a denizen of the astral plane that came to the summons of the figurine's possessor. Bruner always had been a bit shy around the cat. Dwarves didn't generally like magic, other than the magic of fine weapons. But Regis and Gwenhiver had been close friends. Gwenhyver had even saved the halfling's life once by taking Regis along for an astral ride, getting the halfling out of a collapsing tower in the process. Now, though, Regis stood above the figurine, torch and mace in hand, apparently unsure of how to proceed. Drizzt walked back the few steps to join his diminutive friend. What is the problem? he asked. I. I just think you should call Gwenhiver, the halfling replied. It's your panther, after all, and yours is the voice Gwenhiver knows the best. Gwenhiver would come to your call, Drizzt assured Regis, patting the halfling's shoulder. Not wanting to delay and argue the point, though, the drow softly called out the panther's name. A few seconds later, a grayish mist, seemingly dark in the dim light, gathered around the figurine and gradually shaped itself into the panther form. The mist subtly transformed, becoming something more substantial than it was gone, leaving in its stead Gwenhyver's muscled feline form. The panther's ears went flat immediately. Regis took a prudent step back, then Drizzt grabbed Gwenhiver by the jowl and gave a playful shake. Some dwarves are missing, Drizzt explained to the cat, and Regis knew that Gwenhiver understood every word. Find their scent, my friend. Lead me to them. Gwenhyver spent a long moment studying the immediate area, turned back to stare at Regis for a bit, then issued a low growl. Go on, Drizzt bade the cat, and the sleek muscles flexed propelling Gwenhyver easily and in perfect silence into the darkness beyond the torchlight. Drizzt and Regis followed at an easy pace. The drow confident that the panther would not outdistance them and Regis glancing nervously this way and that with every passing inch. They came through the intersection with the giant Ettin's bones, Bruner's first kill. A short while later, Gwenheimer joined them once more when they entered the low cavern where the main goblin force had been routed. Little evidence remained of that recent battle, save the many bloodstains and a diminishing pile of goblin bodies in the center of the place. Ten-foot-long worm-like creatures swarmed all about these, long tendrils feeling the way as they feasted on the bloated corpses. Keep close, Drizzt warned, and Regis didn't have to be told twice. Those are carrion crawlers, the Draw ranger explained, the vultures of the Underdark, with food so readily available— They likely will leave us alone, but they are dangerous foes. A sting from those tendrils can steal the strength from your limbs. Do you think the dwarves got too close to them? Regis asked, squinting in the dim light to see if he could make out any non goblin bodies among the pile. Drizzt shook his head. The dwarves know the crawlers well, he explained. They welcome the beasts to be rid of the stench of goblin corpses. I would hardly expect seven veteran dwarves to be taken down by crawlers. Drizzt started down from the angled platform, but the halfling grabbed his cloak to stop him. "'There's a dead Eden under there,' Regis explained. "'Lots of meat!' Drizzt cocked his head curiously as he regarded the quick-thinking halfling, the drow thinking that maybe Bruner had been wise in sending the little one along. They skirted the lip of the raised stone and came down the far side. Sure enough, several carrion-crawlers worked over the huge Eton body— Drizzt's original course would have taken him dangerously close to the beasts. They were into the empty tunnels again in a few seconds, Gwenhyver drifting silently into the darkness to lead them. The torch soon burned low. Regis shook his head when Drizzt reached for another one, reminding Drizzt that they should save their light sources. They went on in the quiet, in the dark, with only the soft glow of twinkle to mark their passing. To the drow, it seemed like old times. Traversing the underdark with his feline companion, his senses heightened in the knowledge that danger might well lurk around any bend. The disk is warm," Jarlaxel asked, seeing Verena's pleasurable expression as she rubbed her delicate fingers across the metallic surface. She sat atop the drider, her mount for the journey. Dinan's bloated face, expressionless and unblinking. "My brother is not far," the priestess replied. Her eyes closed in concentration. The mercenary leaned against the wall, peering down the long tunnel filled with flattened goblin corpses. All about him, dark forms, his quiet band of killers, slipped silently about their way. Can we know that Drizd is here at all? The mercenary dared to ask, though he was not anxious to dispel volatile anticipation, especially not with the priestess sitting atop so poignant a reminder of her wrath. "'He is here,' Werner replied calmly. "'And you are sure our friend will not kill him before we find him?' the mercenary asked. "'We can trust this ally,' Werner replied calmly, her tone a relief to the edgy mercenary leader. "'Loth has assured me.' "'So ends any debate,' Jarlaxel told himself, though he hardly felt secure in trusting any human.' particularly the wicked one to whom Verna had led him. He looked back to the tunnel, back to the shifting forms as the mercenary band cautiously made its way. What Jarlaxel did trust was his soldiers, drow for drow as fine a force as any in the dark elf world. If Drizduarden was indeed wandering about these tunnels, the skilled killers of Bregan the Arth would get him. Should I dispatch the Benray force? the mercenary asked Verna. Werner considered the words for a moment, then shook her head, her indecision revealing to Jarlaxel that she was not as certain of her brother's whereabouts as she claimed. Keep them close a while longer, she instructed. When we have found my brother, they will serve to cover our departure. Jarlaxel was all too glad to comply. Even if Drizzt was down here, as Werner believed, they did not know how many of his friends might have accompanied him. With fifty drow soldiers about them, the mercenary was not too worried. He did wonder, though, how Triel ray might welcome the news that her soldiers, even if they were only males, had been used as no more than fodder. "'These tunnels are endless!' Regis moaned after two more hours of unremarkable twists and turns in the goblin-enhanced natural passageways. Drizzt allowed a break for supper, even lit a torch." and the two friends sat in a small natural chamber on the flat rock, surrounded by leering stalactites and monster-like mounds of piled stone. Trist understood just how unintentionally perceptive the halfling's words might prove. They were far underground, several miles, and the caverns continued on aimlessly, connecting chambers large and small and meeting with dozens of side passages. Regis had been in the dwarven mines before, but had never entered the next lower level, the dreaded Underdark, wherein lived the Drow Elves, wherein du Arden had been born. The stifling air and inevitable realization of thousands of tons of rock over his head inevitably led the Dark Elf to thoughts of his past life, of the days when he lived in Menzabaranzen, or walked with Gwenhyver in the seemingly endless tunnels of Toril's subterranean world. "'We'll get lost, just like the dwarves,' Regis grumbled." munching on a biscuit. He took tiny bites and chewed them a thousand times to savor each precious crumb. Drizzt's smile didn't seem to comfort him, but the ranger was confident that he, and more particularly, Gwenhyver knew exactly where they were, making a systematic circuit with the chamber of the main goblin battle as their hub. He pointed behind Regis, his motion prompting the halfling to half-turn in his rocky seat. If we went back through that tunnel and branched at the first right-hand passage, we would come, in a matter of minutes, to the large chamber where Bruner defeated the goblins, Drizz explained. We were not so far from this spot when we met Cobble. Seems like father, that's all, Regis mumbled under his breath. Drizz did not press the point, glad to have Regis along, even if the halfling was in a particularly grumpy mood. Drizzt hadn't seen much of Regis in the ten days since he had returned to Mithril Hall. No one had, actually, except perhaps the dwarven cooking staff in the communal dining halls. "'Why have you returned?' Drizzt asked suddenly, his question making Regis choke on a piece of biscuit. The halfling stared at him incredulously. "'We are glad to have you back,' Drizzt continued, clarifying the intentions of his rather blunt question. "'And certainly all of us are hoping you will stay here for a long time to come.' "'Why, my friend?' "'The the wedding,' Regis stammered. "'A fine reason, but hardly the only one,' Drizzt replied with a knowing smile. "'When last we saw you, you were a guildmaster, and all of Kellumport was yours for the taking.' Regis looked away, ran his fingers through his curly brown hair, fiddled with several rings, and slipped his hand down to tug at his one dangling earring. "'That is the life the Regis I know always desired.' Driz remarked. Then maybe you really didn't understand Regis, the halfling replied. Perhaps, Driz admitted, but there is more to it than that. I know you well enough to understand that you would go to great lengths to avoid a fight, yet when the goblin battle came, you remained beside me. Where safer than with Driz Duarden, In the higher complex, in the dining halls, the drow replied without hesitation. Drizzt's smile was one of friendship. The luster in his lavender eyes showed no animosity for the halfling, whatever falsehoods Regis might be playing. "'Whatever the reason you have come, be sure that we are all glad you are here,' Drizzt said honestly, bruner more than any, perhaps. "'But if you have found some trouble, some danger, you would be well advised to state it openly, that we might battle it together. We are your friends, and will stand beside you without blame,' against whatever odds we are offered. By my experience, those odds are always better when I know the enemy.' "'I lost the guild,' Regis admitted. "'Just two ten days after you left Kalimport.' The news did not surprise the drow. "'Otemis and Trery," Regis said grimly, lifting his cherubic face to stare at Drizzt directly, studying the drow's every movement. "'And Trey took the guild?' Drizzt asked. Regis nodded. He didn't have such a hard time of that. His network reached to my most trusted colleagues. You should have expected as much from the assassin, Drizzt replied, and he gave a small laugh, which made Regis's eyes widen with apparent surprise. You find this funny? The guild is better in Entreri's hands, Drizzt replied to the halfling's continued surprise. He is suited for the double-dealing ways of miserable Calimport. "'I thought you—' Regis began. "'I mean, don't you want to go and—' "'Kill Entreri?' Drizd asked with a soft chuckle. "'My battle with the assassin is ended,' he added when Regis's eager nod confirmed his guess. "'Entreri might not think so,' Regis said grimly. Drizzt shrugged and noticed that his casual attitude seemed to bother the halfling more than a little. "'As long as Entreri remains in the Southland, he is of no concern to me.' Driz knew that Regis didn't expect Entreri to remain in the south. Perhaps that was why Regis would not stay in the upper levels during the goblin fight, Driz thought. Perhaps Regis feared that Entreri might sneak into Mithril Hall. If the assassin found both Drizd and Regis, he probably would go after Drizd first. You hurt him, you know, Regis went on. In your fight, I mean. He's not the type to forgive something like that. Driz's look became suddenly grave. Regis shifted back, putting more distance between himself and the fires in the drow's lavender eyes. "'Do you believe he has followed you north?' Drizzt asked bluntly. Regis shook his head emphatically. "'I arranged things so it would look like I had been killed,' he explained. "'Besides, and knows where Mithril Hall is. He would find you without having to follow me here. But he won't,' Regis went on. "'From all I heard—' "'He has lost the use of one arm and lost an eye as well. "'He would hardly be your fighting equal anymore. "'It was the loss of his heart that stole his fighting ability,' Driz remarked, more to himself than to Regis. "'Despite his casual attitude, Driz could not easily dismiss his long-standing rivalry with the deadly assassin. Entreri was his opposite in many ways, passionless and immoral, "'but in fighting ability he had proven to be Driz's equal.' almost. Treri's philosophy maintained that a true warrior be a heartless thing, a pure, efficient killer. Driz's beliefs went in exactly the opposite direction. To the drow, who had grown up among so many warriors holding similar ideals as the assassin, the passion of righteousness enhanced a warrior's prowess. Driz's father, Zach Nefein, was unequaled in Mensa Baronson because his swords rang out for justice, because he fought with the sincere belief that his battles were morally justified. Do not doubt that he will ever hate you, Regis remarked grimly, stealing Driz's private contemplations. Driz noted a sparkle in the halfling's eye and took it as an indication of Regis's burning hatred of Entreri. Did Regis want—expect—him to go back to Calimport and finish his war with Entreri? The drow wondered. Did Regis expect Driz to deliver the Thieves' Guild back to him, deposing its assassin leader? He hates me because my way of life shows his to be an empty lie, Driz remarked firmly, somewhat coldly. The drow would not go back to Calimport, would not go back to do battle with Artemis and Trieri for any reason— To do so would put him on the assassin's moral level, something the drow, who had turned his back on his own amoral people, feared more than anything in all the world. Regis looked away, apparently catching on to Driz's true feelings. Disappointment was obvious in his expression. The drow had to believe that Regis really did hope he would regain his precious guild at the end of Driz's scimitars, and Driz didn't really take much hope in the halfling's claims that Entri would not come north. If the assassin, or at least agents of the assassin, would not be about, then why had Regis remained tight to Driz's side when they went down to fight the goblins? Come, the drow bade, before his mounting anger could take hold of him. We have many more miles to cover before we break for the night. We must soon send Gwenhyver back to the astral plane, and our chances of finding the dwarves are better with the panther beside us. Regis stuffed his remaining food in his small pack, doused the torch, and fell into step behind the drow. Drizz looked back at him often, somewhat amazed, somewhat disappointed by the angry glow in the red dots that were the halfling's eyes.